by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we're in a new series called The Rescue. This is part three today. Um, I was thinking about where to go from here. I started, you know, all the way back before Genesis, and, and I wanted to take us all the way up to where we are now in our life and this part of history and, and where we're going, where, what the prophecies say about what's coming next. And it seems like sometimes I get bogged down in some of the stories along the way. This could be a, a series that goes on forever, but uh, we don't want that to happen. But at the other, on the other hand, it's like, some of these stories are just too rich that they're, they're bringing forth the, the foundations of how we got to this place. And they just must be told. So I'm, I'm depending on God to show me where to skip over and what to harp on. And last week we just had to talk about the father of our faith. Remember that? <laughs> faith was the word last week. It was Abraham. Um, I was eating lunch with Angie and some friends yesterday and... And she began to tell this uh, idea about that, that women's minds are like spaghetti. <laughs> There's like a bunch of noodles, you know, all intertwined. And if you pull one, it moves them all. And, and, but men are like waffles. And we just got these little square compartmentalized places in our brain. You know, we, we, we do one thing at a time. And women can do all these things at once. It reminded me of a time that I got to go with our women to the jail ministry in DeSoto County. And uh, we had this little fireball lady preaching. And uh, she, she could preach so fast. I'm not kidding. It, the walls in the, the jailhouse are made of concrete, you know. So it's a big reverb going on in there, sound bouncing everywhere. But she would say a sentence. And before, she, before the echo could come back, she was on her second sentence. And I thought she was going to preach the whole Bible in that one-hour period. <laughs> and I wasn't getting a thing she said because it was just too much noise going on. But the thing about it is she was preaching to other women, and they were all like, yes, amen, they got it all. I don't <laughs> like spaghetti. So today I'm just trying to figure out where to be spaghetti and where to be waffles. So bear with us as we... In endeavor to present you spaghetti and waffles today. The, the, the Old Testament is just full of types and shadows, pictures. You know, the Old Testament, they say, is Jesus Christ concealed, but he's not really if you're looking for him there. And the New Testament is Jesus Christ fully revealed. Uh, last week, we shared 1 Corinthians 10, 11. I'm going to share it in the NIV version. Today, it says, these things happened. What things? Those old things in the Old Testament. They happened to them as examples and were written down as a warning to us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Do you feel like everything is culminating at this time? Do you know that some people believe that there's more people alive here on the earth right now, I think close to 7 billion or more, than have been alive 
throughout the course of human history. We've just culminated. Everything is culminating to this big showdown that we're working our way towards in this series. And uh, they're examples to us, so we should learn. God's saying, we wrote these things down. We want you to look back. We want you to understand. And I'm painting you a foundation today. What we found so far, a brief recap, is that God had a rescue and evacuation plan in, in place even before he created the earth. Before we plunged ourselves into darkness with sin, he already had a lamb picked out that would be slain and whose blood would be spilled for our salvation. And we know, you know, we're not pretending we don't know the end. We know that it, that would be Jesus. But now we're looking back and seeing how that came to pass. God's revealing this puzzle one piece at a time. Uh, we've discovered so far that our conscience, our good conscience that tells us that's wrong, can be easily overridden, and that we just go ahead and do what we want to do anyway. Uh, we've discovered that even the most righteous among us will get off the ark and get drunk. I mean, so, good God-fearing Christians, you, you'll say, what happened to them that week? We don't know. They got off the ark and they got drunk. But praise God. <laughs> We've discovered last week while examining the story of the, the Tower of Babel that man's attempt to govern themselves without the help of God only leads to pride and a desire for more power and to be and takes you right back to the place uh, in Adam and Eve where they wanted to be bigger than God. Last week we also saw what God seeks. And God seeks a covenant partner and a covenant partner with faith. That's when we begin to talk about Abraham. God found a man he could sojourn with. That means that wouldn't set down roots in this earth who would trust God and walk with God and be mobile and be free and do the things God. He was willing to cut off the flesh, so to speak, as we talked about the, the circumcision covenant the, the and then we uh talked about i thought it was notable that we kind of we just skipped past it but god's looking for a friend and he found a friend in abraham and i, and I thought wow god stopped and talked to abraham before he brought judgment on the cities of sodom and gomorrah he got abraham's perspective he listened to his friend Abraham. And he'll listen to your prayers if you're walking with him. And your prayers can save folks. They matter. We saw that last week. Yes, judgment is coming. But if we pray for one another, we can escape. And after 30 years of walking with God, building this type of faith, Abraham in his old age, and with his barren wife Sarah in her old age, Produced the promised child, the seed that was faith produced as we knew it would. And we see it happening all around us today. We simply can't rush past the story of Abraham. Abraham is the father of the, you remember last week? Faith. Faith is the key. Uh, man, we, we can't uh, forget that. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. 
I know I told you this story a couple of weeks back, maybe a month or so back, in a different context, and it wasn't in this series. I just told the story. Um, so you'll say, well, I heard that here recently. Well, let me read it to you today because we, this may be one of the most pivotal stories in the entire Bible. That this, this story right here of Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac is one of the most important stories in all of the Bible. It says in verse 1, now it came to, <clears throat> excuse me, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Came to pass after what things? <laughs> 30 years of walking with God, producing the child, the promise, the heir that would become the nation of Israel. After this came to pass, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Do you even answer when God calls? Do you say, here I am when God calls? There's been times in my life that I, I was scared to hear from God. I was scared that he was going to give me a, a take Isaac to the mountain kind of uh, command. But we have to trust God. You're, you want your life to count eternally. You're going to have to say, here I am when God calls. And then he said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love. God is saying, I know how important Isaac is to you. I'm not asking this lightly. This son that you love, this son that you, you worked 30 years to work up the faith to believe for. I know it's important. And this is not a light request, but he doesn't. He doesn't expound. He doesn't make excuses. He says, take this son whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Wow. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. You know, sometimes if you don't act quickly with one of God's commands, you'll likely talk yourself out of it especially if it's something important that God is trying to do, something that may cost you. If you don't act, you notice that Abraham didn't go consult Sarah and say, Sarah, you think we should take our child to the mountain and use him as a burnt offering? <laughs> what do you think Sarah would have said? She would have talked Abraham out of it. Sometimes you got to stop consulting your friends if you know that you've heard from God. That is enough. I got my sermon ta notes taped together this morning. I can't find a printer to print out for me. It's been a rough day. Raise your hands and do what? Offer your hallelujah. Lay it all down, brother. And it said he took two young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place far off. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Wow, that's a total statement of faith. Because God's already told him, Look, you're going to sacrifice Isaac there. He didn't say he was going to come back. Why is Abraham saying that he, he's going to come back? I'm telling you, 
Abraham is no longer this flighty guy that he was when we first started reading stories about him and him lying to the kings that his wife was his sister and all this. Abraham, he's not wrestling with God anymore. He's not trying to swindle God out of what God wants to do through him. He's settled in his faith. In fact, if you go to Hebrews eleven seventeen, move up to the New Testament and read about this story, it says it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. You understand that Abraham knew that Isaac was the one whom the nation of Israel would arise. All the promises of God were hinged on this Isaac son, the one he loved. And now God is saying, sacrifice him? Why does Abraham not question God and say, God, this doesn't make sense? Instead... It says, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son whom your descendants will be counted, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Wow. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. He had the faith to believe that God could raise somebody from the dead. In the Old Testament, that's faith. That's faith. God says, even if, if, I, if I sacrifice my son because of the other promises God has made me about this son, I know he's going to raise him back to life. So let's go back to our text. And, and in verse 6, it says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father? And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. This is in the New King James Version, I believe. If you read it in the King James Version, the word for is not in there. And it would read like this, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham is not only making statements of faith, he's prophesying. So the two of them went together and they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and he placed the wood in order and he bound bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. I mean, Abraham was serious about this. They had to call his name twice. So he said, for the third time, here I am. You see, Abraham answers. Thank goodness he answered this time, right? And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now... I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. There behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. 
So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And I bet he was like, wow, thank you, Jesus. I bet he was lifting up his hands and giving a hallelujah at that point. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Lord provided himself a sacrifice. I hope you're getting this. And the blood of this covenant would be his own. Mm. Do you know it is by faith that you call forth the ram? It is by faith that you call forth the lamb that will be the sacrifice for your sin. You got to believe that God is able to re resurrect. And that, that blood is all you need. Do you know a blood covenant is basically a promise that two people make together that says, All that I have is yours for the asking. And that all that you have must be mine for the asking. You see, God had tested Abraham's side of the covenant. Would he give God that which mattered most to him, his son? And because Abraham was found faithful, God could give mankind that which mattered most to him, his son. Pivotal point in all of the Bible. God had found a man to cut covenant with to get his son Jesus on the earth. But as I think about this story, maybe God can't get you all that you're asked for. Maybe one of the reasons why your prayers are not being answered is because you're not saying, here I am when God calls you. Maybe you're not upholding your side of the covenant. God can't get to you because you won't trust him with what he asks of you. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Last week, I told a crazy story about old Hal, my friend from childhood. I guess a little unfairly, I called him Slewfoot. <laughs> I compared him to the devil. He was always tempting me to do wrong. The truth be told, if you ask my mama who got us in trouble, she would say, yeah, it was Hal. If you ask Hal's mama who was the one doing the instigating, she'd say, it was Guy. <laughs> so I guess we both played a part in that. But you remember how he talked me into getting into the drainage ditch, and we, you know, almost died, you know, because it was, like, cold and everything. But, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you another story about that Hal. He was kind of stocky for his age. You see, he, his dad owned a tree company, and Hal, by the time he was, Nine or ten years old, he was manning the chainsaw, you know, climbing trees. He was, he was strong. And uh, every fight I ever saw him get into, he won. He wasn't, a, you know, a mean person or nothing. He was good-natured and everything, but you just didn't mess with Hal, you know. Um, and like I said, we lived on some mean streets in Whitehaven in Memphis, you know, and uh, we did dumb stuff. We, like when we were 14 and 15, we would... We would drink quarts of beer. You know, we wouldn't tell our parents about it. <laughs> we'd hide out and we'd, we'd, we'd see how many quarts we could drink. 
Who held the record for drinking the most quarts of beer? I mean, we weren't like normal people. We couldn't go get a six-pack. We had to get big quarts, you know. And, what, and, and I, I claim that I held the record. One time I drank eight quarts of beer in one night. That's a lot for, for a 15-year-old. But Hal says that he won because even though he only drank seven quarts of beer, he didn't throw up all his like I did. So he held his seven quarts of beer. But that's beside, that's another story for another day. But one of those times that we went to buy the quarts, you see, uh, we would have to go to this one gas station that had somebody working there that thought Hal was old enough to buy beer because Hal looked older than the rest of us. And I, w- <clears throat> I was sitting in the car, and old Hal went up to the, you know, his little window with the little tray underneath, and he went up and he, he said, give me some quarts of beer or whatever. But he noticed that the, the man who had just left before him had left his change in the tray. So old Slough, I mean, old Hal, <laughs> he snatched that money up and shoved it in his pocket like nobody's business, you know. I mean, money was hard to come by <laughs> back in those days. So he had that money in his pocket. And as he was waiting on the guy to go get him some quarts, the, the grown man who had left his change came back, and he was saying, hey, I left my money in the, I, I forgot to get my change. And the guy inside the, the store, he said, that guy right there just got your money. <laughs> he told on Hal, and Hal said, no, I didn't. No, I didn't get your money. And the man says, you better give him my, give him my money, kid. You know, this was a grown man. Now, I'd seen Hal whooped everybody his age, and I'm sitting in the car, and I'm watching this. I'm trying to guess what's going on here, and I'm looking like they're, they're bowing up, you know ready to throw punches and I'm like Hal's finna take this guy you know he ain't this guy ain't much bigger than Hal and I I expected to see Hal whoop him real quick but Hal threw the first punch and this guy like I said he was a grown man it's the difference between a grown man and a 15 year old and the grown man ducked he said boop hit Hal right in the jaw Hal went down for the first time I'd ever seen him go down and Hal was just as surprised as I was I mean, I should have got out of the car and helped him or something, but, you know, I kind of avoided conflict <laughs> when I could. But anyway, <laughs> how he, he staggered back to his feet. He said, I, you know, I got to try this again. So he threw another punch, and the guy sidestepped it and hit him with a couple more. Bop, whop. This was a grown man. Knocked Hal down again. Hal reached in his pockets and he just held out that money. And that grown man took his money and walked on. Why do I say all this? I don't know. (laughs) But it's like some of us are fighting with God. And let me just tell you, that's a fight you're not going to win. Some of us are, God says, do this. We argue. God says, where are you? We don't say, here I am. Uh, Some people have, you know, Maybe you're running completely from your calling right now, running from God. God's saying, you know, we, I want you to, to leave that job and take another job. And you're saying, no, no, I need that money. You know, we're arguing, we're fighting with God. In Proverbs 21, 30, it says, No human wisdom or understanding or plan, and you could throw in no physical strength of yours, can stand against the Lord. It is a fight You cannot win. Your little intellect against God's, see, he sees yesterday, today, and forever all at the same time. He knows what's coming down the line, and you're trying to argue with him about what you need. You don't think God knows what you need? 
You need to learn to trust God. Anyway, I say all that to say Isaac didn't get sacrificed on that altar. God doesn't want us to sacrifice our children. Um, Isaac would grow up, and when he was 40 years old, he would marry a beautiful uh, woman named Rebecca, and uh, they would have twins. And both of these twins just came out fighting against God. The first twin was named Esau. He was red and hairy and big old gruff. He reminded me of Hal a lot, you know. He, he came out, and one day he was out hunting, and he came back home hungry, just famished. And his brother, which is the second twin, named Jacob, was in the house cooking some stew. And he said, give me some of that stew. And Jacob, well, he was a handful himself. He was, Jacob, the name means swindler. It means tricky, you know. And, and so Jacob said, well, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you'll give me your birthright. Because see, Esau had been born first, and the birthright means something to God. You know, it meant something. And so Esau was like, what do I care about a birthright? You know, just give me some stew. I'm hungry. His belly was dictating his life. He chose his belly over his birthright. And that's the way many people do today. They just, they're, they're just follow, they follow their flesh. And they don't follow the plan that God has for their life. God hates that. God hates to see you waste your life. Anyway, old Jacob, he was a conniver. He ended up stealing his birthright, and later on he was stealing his blessing from his father. He was always fighting his way through life, trying to position himself. And I kind of, I did that. You know, I was the one in the car watching the fight. You know, I, I wasn't going to put myself on the line. I was hiding out, trying to position myself all the time, trying to, every deal that I ever did on Craigslist or, or back before the Craigslist, you know, when we were on the, the newspaper articles and stuff and the commercial appeal, you know, I was always trying to get one over, trying to find an angle to uh, connive and swindle my way through life. Old Jacob, it says, even when he was born, he had a, he had a hold on Esau's ankle. You know, he, he wanted to come out first. He was tugging on his brother to try to get out before Esau so he could get that positioning that he wanted. But you know what? Every swindler always meets his match. There's always somebody that can swindle better than you. Amen? And Jacob ran smooth up against a man named Uncle Laban. It was actually his uncle. And we all got an uncle like that. Shadier than an oak tree. <laughs> this guy could sell a space heater to the devil. I mean, just conniving. Just, you can't trust a word out of, out of his mouth. And I know people like that today. Maybe some of you like that today are watching me. There's so many times that I speak truth into somebody's life. And I can just see their wheels spinning. I may tell them the principles of God, but you can tell it ain't going nowhere. They've already got their mind made up. I know people that have lied so much that they believe their own lies now. If you ask them where they were born, they couldn't tell you because they done told so many lies about it in the past. They can't remember the truth anymore. I'm telling you, some people 
Now, those are the hardest to reach because they always tell you what you want to hear or what's most convenient for them. I know people that lie that don't even have to lie. They lie about things that don't even, don't even benefit them just because they practice it, I guess. I ain't going to mention that the Bible says all liars will have their place in the lake of fire, but that's for another sermon. But, but you better, really, if that's you, you're so twisted up and you just, it's no big deal for you to tell them, you call them all white lies, but they're not. You just lie about everything. You're conniving, swindling. You can't be trusted. Is it really worth it? Has what you have gained by your swindling really been worth it? Or have you just made a mess out of your life? I'm telling you, I've talked to people and it just doesn't seem, it seems like the only thing that's going to make a difference in their life is a miracle from God. Because they have messed themselves up. That's what this Uncle Laban was like. And he ran head on like two rams, button heads, him and Jacob, both of them. Well, Uncle Laban agreed to let Jacob marry his, his younger daughter, Rachel. If, there's always a condition, right? If you will work for me for seven years. I mean, I don't mean to ask much. Just work for me for seven years. And then you can have her make it sound attractive. Well, Jacob was so in love, he had to have this, Rachel. And he agreed to it. <laughs> then after the seven years, on the honeymoon night, Uncle Laban pulls a smooth one. He gets him in the dark, and then he sends his old cow-eyed older daughter named Leah up in the tent. And it's dark in there, and Jacob can't tell. He consummates the marriage with the wrong girl. <laughs> My goodness, can you imagine when he woke up that morning? What the world? <laughs> so he goes running to crazy Uncle Laban and says, You've done me wrong. He said, well, what, what, what? I mean, it's... It's common for it's not common for us to, to marry off the younger daughter before the older daughter. He says, uh, but I'll give you Rachel if, <laughs> if you'll work for me another seven years. He got 14 years of, of service out of this guy. And he got, he got old cow-eyed Leah thrown in <laughs> for, for good measure. <sighs> By the time... Jacob had worked these 14 years for Laban and seen how he was. I guess he was like looking in a mirror and he, he probably just got disgusted. He's like, let me out of this swindling business. All you swindlers out there, I hope you're coming to the end of yourself. I, I hope you're tired of wrestling with God. I hope you're tired of fighting against a grown man that you ain't going to win. Speaking of wrestling, old Jacob, when he was on his way home, you see, he said, I'm going back to the promised land. So he, he snuck off. He didn't even tell old Uncle Laban. He took off, got his, his donkeys and his cows and his, his sheep and everything. There's a lot of stories in between all this. Read it for yourself. It's good reading the Bible. You ought to do it every day. Anyway, he's, he's, he gets to the river Jabbok, and he's camping out. And that night, a man, well, it wasn't actually a man. It was God in the form of a man, came down from heaven and wrestled. With Jacob literally. And you'd say, well, I'm sure God whooped him good. But you know, sometimes God will just wrestle with us till we wear ourselves out. You know, I used to wrestle with my children. I call it snuggle wrestling. 
I'd, when they was little, you know, I'd get them, and we just, I'd just, I'd be snuggling my face all on them, you know, and they'd think we was really fighting. They was throwing blows and everything, you know, and I was just snuggling them. I just wanted to love on them, you know, and, and let them have fun. I guess that's what God was doing when he was wrestling Jacob. But he wrestled all night, and finally God said, man, this guy's prevailing. This guy is such a conniver. I don't think I can, I'm going to get over on him. Do you know wrestling with God and winning is the worst thing that you can do? Wrestling with God may be the only thing in the world where you want to lose. I mean, Jacob was winning. And God finally had mercy and crippled the man, hit him in his hip and knocked it out of place, and he walked with a limp the rest of your life. Some of you are walking with so many limps right now, God has been trying to let you... Let you lose. But you are intent on fighting against him. It's all you want to do. I guess we better stop there for today. But I tell you what, there's so much more coming. We're going to talk about the 12 children that Jacob had, or grandchildren too, that would become the tribes of Israel Joseph being one of them and his story and how they were plunged into slavery in Egypt and all these things and how the law was given and what the law was given for. Oh, man, I'm telling you, we're building foundations. Don't miss next week, whether we're here in, in person or wherever we're on just a live stream. Don't miss it because God is doing something. He's preparing us for what's to come. Now, I'm not saying that Tuesday Jesus is coming back, but Tuesday is the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, I think is how you say it, Rosh Hashanah or something. It's the festival of trumpets, and many people think that Jesus will come back during the festival of trumpets because he says he'll come back with a shout and the trump of God, you know. And uh, it's the Jewish beginning of the Jewish New Year. Now, I'm, don't go telling anybody I said that Jesus was coming back Tuesday. <laughs> I'm just saying Jesus could come back right now is what I'm saying. And I believe we're in this series to prepare us, whether he coming back or whether we go to him first. So don't miss what God is trying to teach you here. Before we quit, let me say, let's contrast Abraham's faithful obedience with Jacob or Uncle Laban fighting against God. Which do you want to be? I mean, when God called, Abraham said, here I am. When God said go, he didn't go consult all his friends. He went. Even when it meant the life of his son, he was willing to give up everything because of his faith in God. And he became the father of many nations. Maybe you're like Jacob. You're like, man, my life is a mess. I have made a mess. I was Jacob for many, many years myself. But the good news about that is, you know what? Jacob, after he wrestled with God and he finally lost, God changed his name to Israel. And he played a major part in God's plan. God to change your name. 
You've been a swindler and a wrestler with God, which I think we all have at one point. God will change your name. And he'll use you in his plan. Just stop wrestling and start saying, here I am. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is that lamb that would spill his blood on the cross to take away our sin debt. He's just saying, come to me. I know you're laboring. I know you're weary. Just come to me. Make me the Lord of your life. Stop wrestling against God. And let's pull together. Let's make your life count. I'll forgive your sins. I'll send my spirit into your heart. And with my spirit, you can do all things. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, throw up your hands like we sang about this morning. Lay down. Lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. And throw up your hands and surrender. Say, God, here I am. Pray with me like this. Say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn from them. I don't want to wrestle with you any longer. I don't want to be a swindler and a liar and a cheat. I want to be a man or a woman of integrity. I want my life to count. I want you to change my name from whatever it's been, so to speak, in the spirit world to what I'm called to be. I will follow you. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me overcome these fleshly desires to walk in a new life. I am yours. And I lift up my hands and I say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know it's not much, but it's all I got. And all that I am is yours. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And before we close, let me pray for you who are going through such tremendous tribulations this week. Maybe there's sickness. Maybe there's uh, just pain. Maybe it's relationships going awry. Maybe it's finances. I want you to know, God, he is in control. Father, shower your blessing upon them. You are our covenant partner. And today, we make that grand exchange. We exchange all that we are for all of you. That covenant faith. And by that covenant faith, we say, whatever I have, Lord, is yours. But on the other end of that covenant, I reach into the word of God, which says these promises are yes and amen. And if you need healing, you need wholeness, you need peace of mind, grab a hold of it right now and say, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, let's stick together. Let's keep the momentum going. Even though we're not together in this room today, probably we'll be next week. And no matter what we face, no matter what comes, God will provide. He is the Jehovah Jireh. He will provide what we need to, to overcome.
in this life and rule and reign in the next. God bless you. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.